You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Monday to you. It is draft week. In just a few days, we are going to know exactly what Brandon Bean is going to do with the 30th pick of the 2021 NFL Draft. A critical week in terms of the roster building process for every team in the NFL. And of course, we are dialed in on the Buffalo Bills here on this podcast. Today, I want to talk about the stuff that we're not talking enough about. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this roster, this draft, long-term needs, short-term needs, things we need to be mindful of. And there are some talking points that I want to dig into that I don't think are getting enough attention. I have 12 of them for you today. Some of it will be new stuff that has come to my mind that I want to share. Some of it's going to be stuff you've heard me say, but it needs more attention. So as we are on the doorstep of the 2021 NFL Draft, I want to get in to some discussion on talking points that are not discussed enough. So let's start with this one. As Brandon Bean said in his pre-draft press conference, this roster needs cheap labor. He used the words cheap labor. I've been using that phrase for a while, but those words came out of Brandon Bean's mouth. It signals to me that he has an awareness, which we expect him to, of where this team is in its life cycle and how to bring it forward. We've already seen the consequences, they're good consequences, of hitting on draft picks. Trey White, Deion Dawkins, Matt Milano. Those guys are no longer on rookie deals. They're now handsomely paid football players. It changes things. Coming up is Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds. So in order to maintain a deep, talented, and balanced roster, you have to replenish it by hitting on draft picks. It's an important draft. No, the Bills don't go into this thing with an overwhelming, glaring need where you go, you got to get a starter. The Bills do not have their starting right tackle, you know, for example, or they don't have their starting weak side linebacker, or they don't have a starting wide receiver, whatever it is. You don't go into it saying, oh my gosh, you have to find that player. But the overall objective of finding meaningful, cheap labor for this roster is the critical need of this draft. So number one is this roster needs cheap labor, and that makes this a very important draft. Number two is positional numbers. And to be fair, Sal Capaccio of WGR 550 has been all over this talking point. He's been tweeting about it. He's been writing about it. He's been talking about it, but I haven't given this enough attention, and that has to change right now. So what do I mean by positional numbers? I mean based on where the team normally is under McBean, 
when it comes to the 90-man roster where the Bills are in terms of what is normal and how many players they currently have at each position. Right now, the roster currently stands at 71 players. And I'm recording this on Thursday, April 22nd. So if something changes between now and the time that you are listening to this podcast, just keep that in mind. With me traveling this weekend and gearing up for all the draft coverage that I'm doing at the Draft Network, I had to pre-record this podcast. So just keep that in mind as we dig into this. The Bills are currently at 71 players on the roster. Where are they short? Well, they typically have about two more running backs. And before I go any further, let me say this. It's normal to be short at this point. You still have the draft and undrafted free agency. And that post-draft wave of free agent signings. There's a lot of good veteran players that are on the market right now that are waiting until after the draft to sign deals. So it's not a concern that the Bills can have 90 players and they only have 71 at this point. But as you consider what positions the Bills will add to the roster to get 19 more players, it's good to be mindful of where they're short based on historically how many players at each position they carry when it comes to the 90-man roster. So where is it short? Two running backs. They need to get one to two more wide receivers, four offensive linemen. They're super short on offensive linemen. They need another tight end, maybe two. They need one defensive lineman, probably two linebackers, two to three cornerbacks, and three or four safeties. So a lot of those are pretty close, but when I look at corner, safety, offensive line, you can expect to see several players brought in at those position groups, and credit to Sal for making sure that this important talking point has been addressed. The next thing I want to consider is positional spending. How much money do the Buffalo Bills spend at each position compared to the rest of the league? Where do the numbers stand right now? When you consider how many players the Bills have signed at each position, how much they're getting paid, and how does that compare to the rest of the league? Let's dig into those numbers. At quarterback, the Bills are 23rd in the NFL at $11 million. We know that's going to change whenever Josh Allen gets his deal, but for now, they are enjoying a pretty inexpensive quarterback room. At running back, they're 26th in the NFL at $6 million. There's not a whole lot of money invested into the running back room, and that's kind of the way I prefer it. At wide receiver, they are 10th in the NFL at $32 million, so a top 10 wide receiver core in terms of money spent. It's an important position to them, as you've heard me say a bazillion times on this podcast. Tight end, the Bills are 32nd at $3.6 million. The Bills have the cheapest tight end room in the NFL, only $3.6 million invested on tight ends. Offensive line, the Bills are 11th at $37 million. So when you look at this offense, 
They are basically top 10 in wide receiver and offensive line, and they're in the bottom tier, you know, bottom 25% at running back and tight end and very close to it at quarterback. So offensively as a whole, the Bills have the 18th most money spent on offensive players in the NFL right now at $90 million. On defense, at interior defensive line, the Bills are 14th at $21 million. On the edge at defensive end, the Bills are 14th at $21 million. At linebacker, here's one for you. The Bills are second at $25 million. And that's not even factoring in what's coming for Tremaine Edmonds. The Bills are very close. They are on the doorstep of having the most expensive linebacking room in the NFL. At cornerback, they're 21st at $13 million. At safety, they are 13th at $16 million, and that one is uh, one that makes me happy. When you have Poyer and Hyde as your starters, and you only come in at 13th in the NFL at positional spending when it comes to safeties, that's pretty doggone good. And then defensively as a whole, the Bills are fifth in the NFL when it comes to spending on defense at $97 million. Now, these are good numbers to look at. They're not the end-all, be-all. The variance in amount of players signed per team is pretty significant at this point. But I do think it gives us some clues about what's important to the team, where they are underspending right now, and where they are finding some value. So as I look at this list, tight end, 32nd, that one really pops to me. Linebacker, 2nd, that really pops to me. And the fact that they have so much invested defensively at $97 million, the the fifth most expensive defense in the NFL, and I think the most critical needs for this team are on defense, something to raise an eyebrow at. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, MLB, and NHL seasons are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, and they have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything that you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use our promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. The next group of talking points that I want to get into are centered around the offense. I don't have something for every position, but all of these talking points, I have one, two, three, four, five of them to get into. They are about the offense. And they, they vary in significance. Some of these things are more critical than others. But again, the entire objective today on the podcast is to bring up talking points that I think are under-discussed. One of them is backup quarterback beyond this year. Not that you can have that much attention placed on it, and it's something that you can look at next year and fix. The Bills will have the opportunity to address this, but You love what they have right now in Josh Allen and Mitchell Trubisky. But Trubisky's probably a one-year thing. I'm sure he wants to parlay a year in Buffalo into 
a opportunity for him to start again in the NFL. So he's a one-year thing, and with this being a what we, we hope is a more traditional season, a non-COVID season, we'll see. Are the Bills going to keep three three quarterbacks again? Because if they don't keep three quarterbacks, then you have to cut Davis Webb and Jake Fromm. Now, you'll surely put one of them on the practice squad, but you will have a decision to make next year at backup quarterback. Do you like what you've seen from Fromm or Davis to be that number two? Is there a different player you want to bring in? Is there a 2022 version of Mitchell Trubisky that you want to bring in? Do you draft somebody to start developing as that legitimate long-term backup? Maybe they think that's from. I don't. I don't think there's a path to from being a good backup in the NFL. But somewhat of an underrated talking point is we consider the long-term depth at quarterback. The next thing I want to mention that I think is somewhat forgotten as the running back discussion has heated up again, potentially with the Bills picking one at 30 overall, is that Matt Breida is here. Matt Breida is part of this football team. He's really fast, really fast. Zach Moss and Devin Singletary don't have speed, but Matt Breida does. It's not like last year when your top three backs were Moss, Singletary, and TJ Yeldon, and there wasn't any juice to be found. Matt Breida is here. He's extremely fast. He's one of the fastest running backs in the NFL, and he can catch a football. So while we think about the Bills' backfield not having speed and receiving ability, please be reminded that Matt Breed is on this team. No, he doesn't solve everything. He doesn't completely change the landscape of the backfield. But we got to stop saying that the Bills' backfield lacks speed and receiving ability because you're just being forgetful that Matt Breed is part of the team. So I wanted to bring that back to light. Matt Breida is a Buffalo Bill. The next thing I have down is that tight ends are slow developing. I do a lot of radio work across the country, a lot in the Buffalo market, and I continue to get asked about tight ends and the Bills' opportunity to upgrade the position in the draft. I believe I've exhausted every talking point imaginable about the Bills' offense and how it's wide receiver-centric, about Dawson Knox and his development and how it's unsurprising that he's been inconsistent to this point, but he has elite physical gifts. I've exhausted those talking points. I'm not going to rehash them right now. What I do want to focus our discussion on right now, though, is being honest about the Bills' opportunity to get better in the draft at tight end. I think it's unlikely to happen. There are... Very few tight ends that I really like this year in the draft. Kyle Pitts, obviously. Pat Fryermuth from Penn State is a pretty good prospect. And Tommy Tremble from Notre Dame is a guy that I really like as like a third-round pick. Not necessarily for the Bills, but in general. It's probably the whole list. I think everyone else is a depth-type player. I'm not super optimistic about these tight ends. And they're extremely slow-developing. 
So I just want to be honest about what is the real likelihood that the Bills find an answer at tight end in this draft. Even if Dawson Knox completely flames out, I don't think you're going to solve your problem with one of these tight ends this year. If it's very important to you and you want to pick Pat Fryermuth in the second round or you want to pick Tommy Tremble in the third round, sure, there's your best opportunity. But I don't think tight end's a super high-priority position for the Bills. Sure, they've tried to get Greg Olson, and they reached out to Rob Gronkowski, and there were some rumblings that they had interest in Zach Ertz. Like, they've they've had some some swings, right? Some very modest swings at getting a, a an upgrade at tight end. But right now, they're dead last in the NFL when it comes to tight end spending. Is it that important to them? Maybe it is important to them, but they really believe in Dawson Knox. And they like what they have in Jacob Hollister as a number two. But would it be so bad if the Bills' tight end room next year was Dawson Knox, Jacob Hollister, Tommy Sweeney, and Reggie Gilliam? So when I think about adding to the tight end room, I'm not forgetting Nate Becker's part of this. I probably just get some UDFA. And between Knox, Hollister, Sweeney, Gilliam, Becker, the UDFA that you bring in, three or four of those guys make the team. So if you're looking to this draft to find your answer at tight end, the opportunity cost is something that I absolutely remain mindful of. If you pick a tight end in the second or third round, that means you didn't pick a corner or defensive tackle or an interior offensive line or a position that just matters more to this team. So not only am I completely comfortable with Knox and Hollister as my top two tight ends, I want to see these resources invested on other positions, at least the premium resources. This one I've said quite a bit, wide receiver, right? Wide receiver-centric offense, 433 more receiving yards in the NFL than any other team last year from receivers. So we still have to keep at the forefront of our mind wide receiver being a position that the Bills need to keep investing in. This year, they're pretty much set. Diggs, Beasley, Sanders, Davis, McKenzie. I mean, that's pretty friggin' good. Didn't even mention Isaiah Hodgins or Jake Kumaro or Duke Williams. Got a pretty stacked room, but... Emmanuel Sanders, 34 years old. He's on a one-year deal. I think he's a one-year guy. Cole Beasley, 32 years old, and his contract is up after 2022. I'll say this about Beasley. Somewhat of a sleeper talking point is him being an extension candidate. The way that his contract is structured in 2022, if I'm not mistaken, it's got like a $7.5 million cap hit and only $1.5 million in dead cap accumulation if they were to cut him. I'm not suggesting that they cut him by any means. But I do think it's an opportunity to add a year onto the deal and kind of spread that out a little bit. Lock him in for 2022 and give yourself the opportunity to spread out some of that contract. But when the Bills lose Emmanuel Sanders after this year and he has a you know, 65 catches for 750 yards or 800 yards and, and five touchdowns, and he's retires or he moves on after the season, 
I don't want to be all nervous about who's going to replace that production. I want to be ahead of it. I want to get a guy now that I feel can be that replacement and gets timing down with Josh Allen and finds his role in the offense. So I'm all about continuing to invest in the wide receiver position. Also, when does when does Stefan Diggs go to Brandon Bean and say, yo, I deserve $20 million a season? When does that happen? He's like, he's getting paid like $13 million a season right now. And when he signed the deal, I mean, it was definitely a, a fair market deal. But I, I think he's outplayed that contract. So, yeah, I mean, Amari Cooper's getting $20 million a season and, and Stephon Diggs is at 13. We can ignore it if we want to, but it's definitely a possibility. Let's talk about interior offensive line and offensive line in general. Starting five looks okay to me. Dawkins at left tackle. Daryl Williams at right tackle. That's a great pair. At left guard, I'm optimistic about Cody Ford, but I don't think we know anything about Cody Ford. He's not proven anything right now. Again, he's talented, but he's been injured. He's bounced around between positions, and he's yet to solidify himself as a an entrenched starter for this team. That can change. He's only two years into his career. I'm optimistic, but we don't know. At center, you have Mitch Morse, who was potentially a cap casualty this year. The way his contract is set up, next season he has an $11.25 million cap hit, and he can be cut for a savings of $8.5 million. And then you have John Feliciano, who signed a three-year extension, but it's really a one-year deal. That's pay-as-you-go. Sneaky need here on the interior offensive line specifically. Another interesting point about this offensive line is that the only five offensive linemen under contract beyond 2021 are the starters, Dawkins, Ford, Morris, Feliciano, and Williams. You don't have a single player on your offensive line signed beyond this year that's not one of those five. So while you have a question mark about long-term depth, you also have that question mark about do they really continue to roll with Mitch Morse? I think they should. I'd be happy continuing with Mitch Morse. He's perfectly good center in my mind. But I have the feeling that between Feliciano and Morse, one of those guys is not on the team in 2022. So you're potentially going to move on from a starter. All of your backups are on expiring contracts. I think at some point you need to find a meaningful interior offensive lineman in this draft that you can look at as a developmental starter that can potentially be a starter for you in 2022. Need to tell you guys about Built Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar on the planet. So many amazing flavors. They're all delicious and covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. It's like eating a candy bar, but it's good for you. Built Bars are great for anyone who is health conscious. Whether you want to lose weight, maintain weight, or just indulge in a delicious treat, you have to try Built Bars. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and great for anyone who is on the keto diet. Have a deal for you. Go to BuiltBar.com and use our promo code LOCK15 
and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. The last batch of talking points I want to dig up today on the podcast is centered around the defense. And um, as I teased earlier in our podcast, I think the most critical needs on the team reside on the defensive side of the football. Pretty interesting considering how much they've invested there from a free agency perspective, from a draft capital perspective. You think this team's a year removed from being one of the elite defenses in the NFL. I mean, they had a top three defense in 2018 and 2019. 2020 was a different story. Funny how quickly some things can change. So my first talking point on defense, maybe this will be a surprise for you. Is defensive end really that big of a need? Is it really that big of a need? You have Jerry Hughes. You have Mario Addison. I understand those are aging players and Addison really hit a wall last year. But they still have A.J. Epinesa, who was a second-round pick from 2020 who got his weight right and started to come on last year. I think he's going to be a reasonable starter for the team. I'm pretty high on F.A. Obata. Go back and listen to that podcast after he signed. I broke him down. I'm a fan. And Daryl Johnson is still here. I think Daryl Johnson's always going to be more of a depth player, but certainly rosterable for 15, 20% of the snaps on defense and then being a core special teams player. So I don't think this is a situation where your defensive end room is completely devoid of talent. Would an elite defensive end be great? Absolutely. Absolutely. But can we be honest about the likelihood of finding an elite defensive end in this draft, considering the talent available and where the Bills are picking? I don't know how many times I've said it over the last three months, but the bottom 25% of the first round of the draft has literally never produced a good defensive end. It's never happened. Not in the sample size that I broke it down in, 2009 to 2018, that 10-year sample size, did not produce one single meaningful defensive end in the bottom 25% of the first round. All bust. Taco Charlton and Tack McKinley and Marcus Smith. It's not a good spot to get a defensive end. So if you can find a guy that's absolutely going to change the landscape of your defensive end room now and in the future, sure, go get your guy. But I just want to be honest about this need, and I don't know that it's nearly as critical as we think it is. I wouldn't be mad if the Bills picked a player at 30 at defensive end, Jason Oway, Aziz Ojolari, Quiddy Pay. I love those guys. But I have to be honest about the likelihood of this being completely addressed in this draft. I think, and this is my next talking point, I think the bigger need on the defensive line is that defensive tackle. I think that defensive tackle is a more critical need right now and in the future than defensive end. We're all hopeful that Ed Oliver realizes his ceiling this year and becomes a dynamic playmaker for the team. Starlatoule is coming back after a year away. We hope he's a sufficient one technique. So you kind of have a question there. 
But this depth isn't good. Vernon Butler, he's been a disappointment since he's come into the NFL, including last year on this team. Harrison Phillips is in a contract year who's been inconsistent. He's had his moments for sure, but do you really know what you're getting from Harrison Phillips? Who else is there? Is Justin Zimmer? I don't know. For a team that wants to rotate their defensive tackles, this isn't a great group. The only guy that I think really has a ceiling to develop into is Ed Oliver. This is the position group up front on the defensive line that I have more concern about than the defensive end guys. The next thing on defense is that cornerback is a critical need. So for as much as we say the Bills don't go into this draft with any glaring holes where they have to get a starter, which I think is true even being mindful of the cornerback room, but Levi Wallace is super upgradable. And I've said this a million times, Trey White and Dane Jackson are the only two cornerbacks on the roster signed beyond this season. So while you know what the floor is with Levi Wallace, we also need to be reminded that he's limited, right? Physically limited. You have to give him help in coverage. You can't play any man coverage. I know he's a high character guy that works really hard. He's aggressive and scrappy and smart. But at the end of the day, can you turn and run with guys? Can you trigger and close quickly? Those aren't things that Levi Wallace is good at. I want a more dynamic CB2. So the Bills have short and long-term opportunity at CB2 to upgrade and solidify beyond this year. But also, Taron Johnson, the Bills' starting slot corner, is on an expiring contract. And I know that Taron Johnson had two like monumental plays last year, the Pittsburgh pick six and the Baltimore pick six. We'll never forget him. But what type of contract is he going to command? He's basically been the Bills' starting slot corner since he was drafted. Had some injuries, but for the most part, he's been that guy. Do you want to bring him back? Is he replaceable? Do you want to give him a market deal? Got to ask yourself those questions. And I'm not sure it's an emphatic yes. So with that in mind, I'd sure like to get a guy that can compete with him this year, but also gives you a chance to replace him if you don't bring him back and you kind of already have that answer on your roster. So whether it's CB2 on the outside or in the slot, the Bills need to get a couple of guys. If there's one position that I think the Bills should should invest multiple draft picks in, it's cornerback. I think one of their first three picks should be a cornerback and one of their day three picks should be a cornerback. Need to get a couple of guys in here to replenish and uh, challenge what you have. The last thing I'll bring up is safety depth is a critical need. Obviously, Poyer and Hyde, that's an elite pair of safeties, but Jaquan Johnson and Josh Thomas, those are your guys behind them. Dean Marlowe, he's a Detroit Lion. I'm not panicking on safety depth because, as I talked about on a podcast recently in the last couple weeks, there's plenty of veterans that the Bills could go get and sign one of them and change the landscape of the safety depth 
and you'd forget about it, whether it's Tashawn Gibson or Trey Boston or Jaleel Adai. I mean, there's there's like seven or eight guys out there that I'm pretty comfortable with. Just go sign one of them. But Poyer and Hyde, I mean, we know that's that's the engine for this defense. They make it go. And I'd, I'd surely like to uh, feel better about the depth that currently exists on the roster. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us today here on the podcast. We have a ton of discussion to get into the rest of the week about the draft and this roster construction. So make sure that you are subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast. Buckle up, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.